In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Let's go, girls. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up with Beck and Franklin is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they've always dreamed of. Why live in black and white when you can choose the brilliance of 3D and Technicolor? Each week, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin and their high-powered guests will be here to cheer you on, to share their challenges, their successes, and what they've learned along the way. It's all about women supporting women. The stories and practical tips on sex, beauty, money, and so much more are designed to help you reconnect to the powerful woman you are. Fabulous knows no limits. Now it's time for you to expand your boundaries. Here are Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and from Los Angeles to New York City, or frigid New York City, we've got you covered with everything to do with money, sex, beauty, health, love, and all those good things that affect us as women. As part of our show name, we are Powered Up this week, Linda, and I'm going to ask you to tell me what you're powered up about this week. Well, uh, why don't you start and I will jump in. i got to figure out which one I want to talk about. Okay. Well, I know exactly what I want to talk about today uh, because on Sunday night where I do my planning for the week, I sit down with my day planner and I figure out what's important to me and what I want to do and what I want to achieve. And one of the big things that came to me from a total feeling of overwhelm, Linda, was I'm going to say no. <laughs> and I went to bed on Sunday night thinking, you know what? I say yes far too much. I get myself in over my head. I feel guilty. I feel all these things that I'm going to let people down. You know what? The world kept going even though I said no. And I started it bright and early Monday morning, and I really, really took a hard look at what I could do and what I couldn't do. And I must have said no ten times on Monday alone. That's fabulous. You know, when I first started The Real Cougar Woman, I did a deck of inspirational cards, and I did 52 Uh of them, one for each week of the year. And one of the first cards that I did um, was, uh, remember, ladies, that no is not a dirty word. So you can use it as often as you want. But the problem is most women don't because they're so afraid of the repercussions of saying no that they it's easier just to say yes. Well, absolutely, Linda. You know, I was watching my kids, my two little boys. I was watching my dad and my brothers. And, you know, over the weekend, because we got together for, um, for my dad's 79th birthday party, and I saw the men in my family have absolutely no trouble saying no. Nope, I can't be there. Nope, I can't pick them up. Nope, I can't do this. And I found that I was the only one that was going, oh, uh-huh, okay, yes, I, well, okay, I could do that. And here I feel all this guilt and all this, um, like, oh, they're not going to like me. They're going to be mad at me. This is something I should be doing. All those things came into my head. And when I made the decision on Sunday night that, you know what, I am only going to, you know, 
agree to what I can do and what I want to do, it, it took all the guilt away. You know, I just blocked it right out of my head going, can't do it. Nope. Sorry. Can't do it. Nope. Sorry. Can't do it. And I didn't have all those emotions that I usually had um, in the past in saying no. Well, that's great. But, you know, no and, and, and changing behavior is like beginning exercise. And it's a muscle. And the more you use it, the stronger it gets. So um, j- just, you know, just keep on doing it and you'll find um, it will get easier and easier and easier. And once in a while you have a setback, but then, you know, you get right back on the horse and, and do the no thing some more. Because you have to figure out what works for you. I mean, if 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 it money is making somebody else happy and it's leaving you overwhelmed and unhappy, I mean, what's the purpose? Absolutely. Well, and I thought about it. You know, the things that people asked me to do this week, uh, just on Monday alone, would have caused me a lot of hardship. You know, in order to make them happy or in order to get them to, um, you know, to agree with it, it would have meant a lot of extra work for me, staying up late. I'm already sleep deprived. I have two small children. You know, the people that requested things from me, none of them had little kids. None of them were a single mom. And I realized I created all these dependencies around me with their handout. That was something I created. Yes, absolutely. And if they know that they can count on you, um, you're all, they're always going to keep coming back for more and more and more because there's no such thing as being satisfied. You know, there's always the next thing that's going to come up. Absolutely. You know, and I'm not the only person in the world that can call and raise money for, you know, a charity. I'm not the only mom that can bring in brownies for Valentine's Day on Thursday. I mean, you know, when I looked at the list, I actually started making a list of the things I said no to because I wanted to reflect back thinking, you know, I kind of go kind of crazy, 100% forward charging through. And I was thinking, well, maybe I better look back at some of this stuff and make sure that I, um, you know, I'm saying no appropriately. And I looked down that list and I thought there was not one thing on that list that was an absolute that I had to do. Right. But don't worry, they'll be back. Because <laughs> until because until you, you really convince them that you have changed your behavior and no comes out of your mouth very easily, they'll keep testing you. Because that's what really? people do. Oh, yes. Wow. <laughs> It's very normal because if you've been doing it for a long period of time, that one no is not going to change uh, the way they feel, and they'll be back. But the more you say no when they do come back, eventually they'll get the message and stop asking. That would be good. I mean, I don't <laughs> mind helping out, but what I realized, and I saw this, like, with the PTA, with the children's charities I'm involved with on a national level, it's the same darn 20 women that are doing everything. You know, yes. I mean, in each group, there's like, you know, it's like the Pareto principle of, you know, the 80-20 where, you know, 20% of the population creates 80% of the wealth. Well, when I looked at my phone list and I looked at my email list and I really thought about these groups, it's like, you know, there's 100 participants and 20 of them are working their tails off while the other 80 are, oh, I'm a member in name only. And that yes. really did sit well with me. No, absolutely. Well, I guess I had a similar, I, I mean, I, I've learned, I've, I'm older than you, I've had more practice, so I've learned to say no uh, pretty easily. But, you know, in uh, in New York last week, uh, especially toward the end of the week, they were calling for this huge, huge um, winter storm. 
And uh, I was supposed to go to Brooklyn uh, with one of my partners to look at uh, buildings that are eventually going to house military uh, uh, mothers and their children. And we okay. had we had uh, arranged to have uh, to, to go, and so the real estate uh, guy had made all the appointments and la la la, and we were all set to go. And then Thursday, I heard that uh, you know it's going to be pretty bad starting Friday. And the and Frank, who comes and picks me up, which is just so nice of him, and has to go all the way back to Long Island. I thought he would have problems going back. So I emailed the, the real estate guy and I said, uh, we're not coming because of the, uh, of the impending storm. Well, he had an impending storm because he got pretty pissed off. And he said, oh, I made all these calls and I got all these keys and I, you know, I put a lot of work and effort and time into this. Uh, come. And I wrote back and I said, no way, we're not coming. And this went back and forth. And, uh, you know, him trying to guilt me into coming and I, and I wasn't giving in. And then as early as uh, late as Friday morning, he he sends another email said, "Well, you know, just kind of sprinkling here in Brooklyn, uh come." And I said, "No, we've already made the decision. Uh let's we'll do it next week." But you know, they ju- that's the way these people are. They don't take no for an answer. Until well, you beat I- them over the head with it. I can see how at some point, you know, yes, it is frustrating when people cancel. It frustrates everybody. But, you know, it's hard to buy a house when you're dead on the freeway. You know? <laughs> yes. No, I mean, you know, this storm in, in New York now, especially after Sandy, they talk about all of these storms uh, a week ahead of time and prepare people. And the mayor's on, and they're saying, don't, if you don't have to go to work today, don't go to work today. You know, they scare the bejesus out of you before the first flake or drop falls. So, you know, eventually you get the message because, uh, you know, you want to be safe than sorry. Sure. And I don't know if yeah, you saw... Yeah, well, rather than dead. You know, those are good things. And I don't know if you saw the in California. Maybe you didn't, but, um, I mean, they had pictures of the Long Island Expressway, which is the main thoroughfare from, from New York to, to Long Island, and people didn't listen, and they got stuck in their cars Friday night, and they were, like, stranded because they couldn't get out of their cars. And it took um, these big snow plowing efforts uh, up until Monday morning to actually clear this big highway because there were so many abandoned cars. Oh, sure. Sure, absolutely. I, mean, I know we're off topic, but it was, it's like, it's a crazy deal. People just don't listen. No, no, and everybody thinks, you know, a lot of times, well, that's like during the snowstorm out here, and I'm going to take a lot of flack for what I'm about to say, because I'm originally from Buffalo, and I know from snow, and we had a big snow, Linda, like four years ago, where it dropped three feet of snow in the mountains, um, and somebody was killed on our freeway and everybody was like, oh, it's so sad. Oh, it was so sad. Well, yeah, it was sad that the guy died, but he was going 77 miles an hour in a blizzard. Yeah. And I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, I'm so sorry for his family. I'm so sorry for his friends, but 77 miles an hour in a blizzard? Come on now. I know. I know. Um, If you would just listen to the warnings, because usually the warnings now are pretty spot on. You know, they don't get you scared to, to, to death for no reason. I mean, because a lot of people actually do die. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, well, I just love this because now I feel, I just feel so much better when I have my, my little rant. I've got to take us to commercial break. I want to empower everybody listening today to say no, to take a whack at what I did. It really, really did make for a very good Monday and Tuesday. I'll keep you updated on my ability and my power to say no because it's a, as Linda said, a newly acquired in. And um, when we come back from the break, we are going to talk about Valentine's Day, but we're going to talk about Valentine's Day in an entirely new manner. And after that, we're going to welcome on uh, Kathy Rogers, who is just a wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, she talks a lot about eating disorders. She's a survivor of eating disorders, and she has helped me a lot with my understanding of eating disorders. And uh, when we come from the break, back from the break, we're going to talk about Valentine's Day so you don't want to miss it. We've got lots more Powered Up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. Are you yearning to connect with those close to you who have passed on? Do you feel you'd be more at peace or more in balance in your life if you could only have that connection? Now you do. It's time for Alex Laws and the Alex Laws Hour. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Alex discovered an incredible balance that allowed him to listen and receive messages from the other side. Not your traditional psychic medium. Alex has spent the last 27 years as an endurance athlete and entrepreneur. At the core of Alex's abilities is his knowing that in order to open one's soul to the universe, one must open their heart to being authentic. The wisdom Alex has shared from those beyond the veil has helped at an international level and changed people's lives and sometimes, too, their direction in life. Need help with your life or business direction? Tap into the spiritual realm of Alex Laws. For more information, check out alexlaws.com. Then join us for the Alex Laws Hour with Alex Laws. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central, here on The Rock. Star Radio Network. Chances are you didn't give birth to Einstein. So why are you trying to raise your child to be like him? Welcome to Stop Raising Einstein with your host, Tara Kennedy Klein. Woohoo Radio Network's parenting show dedicated to helping you release the myth of the perfect parent and discover the unique brilliance in your child and you. Tara and her panel of amazing, intelligent, and sometimes off-the-wall guests will share the tips, tools, trends, and techniques available that will help you stop raising Einstein and start relishing your role as a proud and present parent. Join her every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time for Stop Raising Einstein, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this 
this is Sandra Beck, and this is Powered Up with Beck and Franklin, and I'm here with my New York co-host, Linda Franklin. And, Linda, you found a really amazing article with respect to Valentine's Day today, and it is not about heart champagne and roses. No, it's about uh, something that each one of us can do <clears throat> to help women. And um, on February 14th, which is Thursday, Valentine's Day, um, they're calling it One Billion Rising. And it's a promise that on that day, we will do what we can to ensure that millions of women and men rise up around the world to say, enough, the violence ends now. You know, 14 years ago, um, or yeah, about 14 years ago, Eve Ensler, you know, and she is famous for the vagina monocles. Well, she started this V-Day, and that was her attempt to end violence against women. So since then, hundreds of of V-Day activists have done all sorts of things in 140 countries, but unfortunately, it still exists. And the United Nations says that one, this is amazing, Sandra, one in three women on the planet will be beaten or raped during her lifetime. So that's more than one billion women and girls that are alive today. So, I mean, that, I mean, when I hear that, it just, knocks me down. It's staggering. It is, Linda. I mean, because just the sheer numbers of that alone, you said how many, how many was that? A billion. One billion women and girls that, you know, all around the world are, you know, one, that they are going to be beaten, raped, abused. I mean, one in three is, is huge. And, you know, and of course that includes, you know, the, you know, the United States too. So, I mean, just look around at the women that you know and think that maybe one of them is getting the hell knocked out of her or has been raped. Oh, easily. I mean, when I look, you know, Linda, I've done a lot of speaking um, for survivors of sexual assault, and I can tell you, you know, that. I think those statistics are right on, and they're right on even here in the United States. I I think, you know, you can't hide your head in the sand and go, oh, well, this just goes on in third world countries, or this doesn't go on here in the United States. All you have to do is go in, like I did one time, and go into the courthouse. You know, I was there. I was called in. I had to be there. I sat there. I listened for like two hours. It was, you know, my boyfriend beat me up. My husband beat me up. I was beaten up. I was beaten up by my father. I was beaten up by my brother. I was beaten up by, and it was amazing that it was just the same story over and over. Yeah. So on this, um, on this day, on Valentine's Day, they are asking, uh, and I and I would love the women that are listening to us today to listen to this to to share the one billion rising with your networks. Now you can you can sign up for their text messages update um, in the United States by texting billion b i l l i o n to five zero five 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 or follow V Day on Facebook and Twitter. Um, just put your input in. Say that you support uh, you, whatever you can do. It's just, it's about the awareness. I mean, you you would think that people by this time are aware, but um, apparently not. No, I mean because you know we are inundated, Linda, with so much information. You know, I I just 
just for a lark, and you know I never do this because I'm not really a, a multimedia person as a viewer. I'm more of a creator of that. I was on AOL today, and I was going through the ticker. You know, there's like there were 45 slides of three to five headlines each, and you know, I was so saturated because I was, you know, I was literally just taking a mental break, and I was inundated with so much information. You know, it's really hard to to know what to listen to, to to, to be aware of everything. Um, but the one billion rising, you know, is the billion women that are being abused, you know, that we're helping stand up. Well, you know, in, in accordance with that, today the Senate, um, the Senate, uh, easily passed this Violence Against Women Act. And now they're going to, you know, they're going to uh, throw it over to the House where it says Republican leaders who haven't yet signaled how they plan to, you know, to proceed with it. So the bill passed in, in, the, in the Senate 78 to 22. It has co-sponsors, and it looks like it's going to get passed. But this, and, and what this bill will do is it authorizes $650 million over five years for, um, for Violence Against Women Act programs and new protections for Native Americans and, and domestic violence and sexual assault um, and to, re to help reduce a backlog in processing rape kits. I mean, it's a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, is geared to, to help women. But the amazing thing to me is, and, you know, and I'm going to embarrass them because I'm going to read it on the air and hopefully a lot of women will hear this. There are senators who voted against the bill. And, and Why would you do that? I, I just, I have no clue. But, uh, you know, uh, in Wyoming, John Barrasso and Roy Blunt in Missouri and John Boozman in Arkansas and Tom Coburn in Oklahoma and Texas, uh, two guys in Texas, and Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, Chuck Grassley in Iowa, Orrin Hatch in Utah, and, and some of the newcomers, you know, that are, you know, this uh, Rand Paul in Kentucky, all of these got Mark Rubio in Florida. And then this is supposed to be the new leadership of the Republican Party, and they're voting against a Violence Against Women Act. I don't get it. I don't get it either. I, I you know, what I don't get even more so is that we even need a Violence Against Women Act in 2013. I mean, to me, that is a travesty of justice that we need to allocate money for this program in our country. You know, this is not the 1500s where there's fiefdoms and we're beating our wives to keep them into submission because they're chattel. I mean, I mean, first of all, the idea that you would vote against this is crazy. I'd like to know their reasoning. Um, but furthermore, the idea that we even need to have this uh, bill put through is really a travesty. Well, well, it is. And and then, you know, and this is the United States, and then in these other countries where there's still sexual mutilation of women, and then there's this white slavery where they're sending women all over the world, um, you know, kidnapping them and sending them to countries uh, so that men can just use and abuse them. I mean, I, you know, I thought we were supposed to come a long way, baby, but, you know, we haven't even started to come along. I mean, it's just, it's you know, I, I, you get me on my soapbox on this, but I get, I get crazy because, you know, we are just so far behind the eight ball still. 
And, I, and, and the funny part is, especially in this country, we have, we have the biggest population. We have the biggest vote. We have, we have more money than the men these days. We are, we are a, a majority of the workforce. Why don't we have a united voice that can get things done? I don't get it. I just don't get it. It just doesn't make any sense. We have the power and we're not using it. We have the power, we're not using it, and I do think in some respects we are our own worst enemy. What I've seen in a lot of the um, groups that I'm involved with, with the survivors of sexual assault, with some of the abuse recovery programs, is the women actually getting on the other women for reporting it, that for family members, for, you know, this is a family issue, you know, we just need to keep this to ourselves. Until, as women, we get together and support each other, because I see it in the medical community, I see it in a lot of the men communities that I work with, you know, they are very, very good at backing each other up. I don't see women being very good about backing each other up, especially with respect to abuse, and I see it in my little small town where it's something you don't talk about, you don't embarrass your husband that way, you don't embarrass your children that way. Well, these thoughts have to stop. These these messages that we give each other have to stop because abuse cannot be tolerated for anyone under any circumstances for any reason. Well, that's absolutely right, and the women, they, they, they're embarrassed to, to say that, yes, I am the victim of, because, you know, I don't, for whatever reason, the people are going to think lesser of them or, you know, and it's not just, it's, it's women in all social levels. I mean, you know, very, very wealthy women, very, very poor women, middle-class women. It's everybody. I mean, it's not just segregated to one class of women. It's everybody. Well, and it's embarrassing. You know, nobody likes to stand up. I don't want to stand up and say what happened. I mean, it's, it's humiliating. It's embarrassing. You feel powerless. This thing has already happened to you, and then you can't do anything about it. And then there's people who look at you like you're lying. The yeah. perpetrator sits there and tells you you're lying. You know, and then somebody. It, yes. And the fear level that, you know, if, if you do, if you do out this person that's doing this to you, he's going to come in and beat your head in. You know, it's well, just it, so much. It is. And, you know, and I can tell you from personal experience, when I confronted this one person, you know, he turned around and said, you know how I know she's lying? Because her lips are moving. And that's what he said to everybody in our sphere of influence. And now you're not only left to defend yourself, but who believes you? You know, it's, it's, and it's an awful, awful feeling. So I can see why people don't want to step up. I didn't want to step up. And you, you know, but we have to. We have to find the strength to stand up, and we have to find solidarity with our sisters to support each other. Well, that's it. If, if there's solidarity and every woman around the world is standing for the same rights and, 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 and embracing each other, and not criticizing one another or judging one another, I think that we can actually maybe do something about this. We'll have enough clout to, to change, to change uh, the laws and, and, and change the perceptions, and we just, we've got to do that. 
We do. We do. We have to change the culture. We have to change the way people think. We have to change the definition of abuse. We have to make it okay for people to stand up and say, this happened to me. It's not right. I need help. We need to make sure it doesn't right. happen again. The website is onebillionrising.org. That's O-N-E, billion, like a billion people, rising.org. Check it out. We encourage you to support it. Uh, Linda, I need to take us to commercial break. Uh, for those of you that are just tuned in, you need to check us out on iTunes. We are under Powered Up Talk Radio. We are on Toginet under the same name. My name is Sandra Beck. I'm here with Linda Franklin. And when we come back from the break, we are going to welcome Kathy Rogers, and she's going to talk about some of the violence we do towards ourselves in the form of an eating disorder. So please come back after the break. We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. This is for all you girls about 42. Tossing pennies into the fountain of youth. It's time to devote time to yourself and strap yourself in for a fun, down-to-earth, enthusiastic, compassionate, easy-to-understand discussion on the unlimited ways you can be all that you want to be. Join us for Bee Institute Radio with Christine McKee on Toginet Radio. Each week, Christine will have lively and open discussions and interviews, share stories and case studies, and hear from experts on the topic of the week. Christine, a registered psychologist from Australia and published author of Be By Design, How I Be Is Up To Me, hosts lively discussions and interviews every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Get ready for smart health with your host, Dr. Glenn Mia. Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Smart Health is a one-hour program dedicated to discussions, interviews, and news in the ever-changing world of medicine. Information leads to smart choices, and smart choices lead to a healthier lifestyle. That's the quote of host and broadcast journalist Dr. Glenn Mia, M.D. This magazine-style radio show is a fast-paced program bringing together medical experts, authors, and patients to examine what works and what doesn't in staying healthy. Dr. Glenn Mia is a board-certified physician in pediatrics and internal medicine. His philosophy to wellness starts with an investment. He says proper nutrition, rest, and exercise are the best personal investments to maintaining good health. So join us for Smart Health with Dr. Glenn Mia. Fridays at 2 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's some more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. This is for all you girls about 42. Ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin from Coast to Coast, New York to Los Angeles. We have you covered about the powerful issues that affect women today. We are welcoming uh, Kathy Rogers, who has some experience, a lot of experience with eating disorders. She is a survivor. She is a mentor. She's an inspiration. She is also someone who is near and dear to my heart. I want to welcome you, Kathy, to the show. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Kathy. It's Linda. Hi, Hi Linda. So nice we're to meet you on the air. 
Kathy, are you in Texas? I'm in North Texas, and it's chilly and damp here today. It's chilly and damp. So we're hitting California, New York, and Texas, some of the biggest states in the nation, talking about a very, very sensitive subject for a lot of women, whether you're 13 all the way up to your, uh, we will not mention that age, but and I think actually it starts younger than that these days from what I can see in my son's classrooms. Uh, Kathy, can you give us a little background about yourself first before we get into our discussion? Okay, I'm, I live in North Texas. I'm an author. My husband's an airline pilot, but I grew up in Clovis, New Mexico. I'm the third child down out of six kids. And I was, at birth, I was a 10-pound baby, and uh, people don't believe that now, but I was my mother's biggest baby. I always felt fat growing up, although looking at the pictures, I was just a little chubby, a little chunky. But uh, when I was in uh, ninth grade, my uncle died. I'd been on a, a diet, and that kind of started this this eating, um, the eating disorder it, I, I didn't know what it was at the time. I um, ate this whole banana cake after my uncle's funeral. Then I didn't eat for two days, okay? And then kind of that thing started. Then my dad and my mother got divorced when I was a junior in high school, and that's when something triggered, and I started eating vast amounts, binging on large quantities of food, and then doing anything I could to purge it from my system. But I didn't know what it was at the time. I knew that I thought I was a freak. I thought and it was all in private. And uh, I didn't know that I had bulimia. And it took years. And then I got diagnosed. And then uh, it just took years and years and years to recover. But uh, I'm going to be 55 in October. I have been recovered since I was 29. I wrote about this subject for Family Circle magazine in 1994 and some other publications. And I'm working on a novel now called Johnny Come Lately, and my protagonist is a recovered bulimic. So I'm very passionate about this subject. Kathy, when you were doing your, your binging and purging, did anybody around you know that you were doing it, or was this like a big, dark secret? It was a secretive at first, but, you know, I, uh, I lived in a small little house. We had this bathroom right off the hallway, and, you know, I would go in there, and, you know, this is when I was a teenager. You can turn on the faucet to try to drown out the noise while you're retching, mm-hmm. but, you know, the other family members could hear. And it was one of those things that, at the time, my mother, it was all she could do to, you know, try to stay afloat. She had to go get a job, try to, you know, figure out how to raise these kids. My dad was out of the picture uh, mostly. And, and it was no one's fault. I've had all these years to really think through this whole thing, um, no one could come rescue me at first because no one knew what it was. And uh, I ended up uh, marrying um, a guy named Tom, a pilot, and once we, we moved away, moved to Tucson, Arizona, my bulimia actually got worse. Although I had security, I had this really nice house, I had a swimming pool in my backyard, a new car in my driveway, married to a fighter pilot, I had it all. That's when I hit rock bottom. And uh, my mother called me late one night, and she said, what's going on? And I said, it's the food thing. You know, I called it the food thing because we didn't really know. Right. And my mother's like, you know, this is a long time ago. We're talking like 1980. Mm -hmm. And she goes, you need to get out the phone book and look under some kind of physician referral. 
And I ended up going to Dr. Richard Popesky in Tucson, Arizona. He was an eating disorder specialist, a, a psychiatrist. But I didn't tell hardly anyone. You know, back then it was so embarrassed. And I went outpatient. I was never in any treatment centers like a lot of people do now. But I started out like three times a week, uh, you know, at the very end, almost two years. And then my husband and I moved. My husband was Air Force pilot, so he got orders. But uh, I'm going to tell you, I went to him for almost a full month. And all I was talking about was the binging on all this food and then the vomiting and all my little rituals and then my excessive running. I was a long-distance runner. And the key, when he said, Dr. Popesky said, Kathleen, he said, you know, Kathy or Kathleen, we can sit here and we can talk about your, your purging, your vomit, your running, the food. We can talk about all that. But until we get to the real issues, mm-hmm. we're wasting our time. And you're going to have to trust me. And that kind of opened up the door because all the food that you stuff in when you binge and then when you spew it out, I was stuffing in emotion. See, I I was a very shy, quiet child. No, I'm certainly not now. And then when I would go and purge, I would stand in that bathroom. It's hard to explain, but with the food and when you're purging, all this emotion would come out, all this anger. And, and Sandra, the key earlier when Sandra said violence we do to ourselves, I am telling you right now, anorexia, I think, I don't want to say it's a passive eating disorder. I don't mean it in that it's very violent to the body, too. But bulimia, you are sitting there and you're stuffing all this junk in your system. And then, you know, you resort to finger down your throat, spoon. At the end of my eating disorder, I was so desperate, and I'm sorry this is going to be a little shocking, but I would uh, jab the loose, uh, looped end of an extension cord down my throat, anything to induce vomiting, get the gag reflex. Oh, my goodness. And um, I feel very thankful that I'm still alive because there yeah. are many times I probably should have died. But, um, you know... Oh, what that does to the, you know, to the esophagus and, yes. and promotes cancer. And, and I mean, I, I, I'm, were you, did you maintain a weight or were you, you were, or were you like stick thin? You know, that, thank you for asking. I started out a little chunky and when I got married, I wasn't, I wasn't real thin and I wasn't fat. I was just a pleasantly a little bit plump. Uh, by the time the eating disorder, when I hit rock bottom, I never was down in the 90s, but I got to 107 pounds. I'm 5'4", but on me, I was tiny, and I looked very, very thin. When I look at some old pictures, I'm like, oh, my God, I thought I looked so awesome in that bikini. I look like a stick with two little pieces, you know. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, then, I, you know, and then I was also abusing, and abuse is the word, I was also abusing laxatives. Mm-hmm. So I was, all, I was abusing food, I was abusing exercise, and abusing laxatives. Well, you were a very lucky lady to, to be smart enough to go and get the help because you're right, that, that could have killed you. Yes. Wow. So when you, you mm-hmm, go ahead. No, so when you sat down with your doctor and he sort of explained, uh, then, then sort of it was like Niagara Falls. Everything, everything that you had been uh, stuffing in came out a, a better way than 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 throwing up. And and how, so, it, how long did it actually take from the from when you started to see the doctor till you really felt 
healthy and you weren't doing it anymore and you felt so much better about yourself. Okay, Linda, is that you that were, you were asking me? Yeah. Okay, Linda, I'll tell you. Okay, I was uh, in my early 20s. But see, that's the thing. He gave me the tools. But when you're on this cycle and you're addicted or whatever you want to call it, you know, you can take the tools, but it's hard to break the cycle. It took me years. Yeah. When I when my youngest son, he's 25 now, he was born, uh, I was 29 when he was born, and that's when I can honestly look back and say, okay, it was around 29. But I'm telling you, even even after that, every day, when I even now, I don't take my recovery for granted, but all those years ago when I was still new at it, every day when I would get out of bed, it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I'm going to get through this. And in the early days, here's what Dr. Popesky told me. Because it, getting over bulimia is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I've written a book. I'm finished with, almost finished with the second one. And I had natural childbirth on two boys in Alaska. But, and, and I've buried, <laughs> On a sled. Yeah. And, uh, well, <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> Downhill. Uh, no. Uh, and and uh, sadly, I've buried a brother. But I'm telling you, getting over bulimia is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, but Dr. Popesky told me years ago, he said, you need to look at it this way. If you take two steps forward and you don't binge, for, you take one step back. Okay, so you take a step back and you binge. Don't. Be, this is the key. Everybody out there who's suffering or you worry or you struggle with this, when you take a step backwards and so you screw up and you binge and you go, throw it up or whatever it people do. Don't beat yourself up. Pick yourself back up. Take two steps forward. Two steps forward, one back. That became my motto. Yeah. That became my motto because even though you think you're losing ground if you keep moving forward, one day, like I am now, at the almost the age of fifty five, I can honestly say, I mean I'm recovered. I do. I still make a choice every day. Every day when I get up, I don't write anything down. I don't keep a food diary. Just, this is what works for me. I don't look at calories. Sometimes I look at fat content, but I, I know what I will eat. I know what I'm going to stay away from. I will tell you this now, and it's going to be in my novel, Johnny Come Lately. There is the theme of donuts, okay, and I'm not going to give away my story, but to this day, I... I will never eat a donut for the rest of my life. And you know what? I'm so okay with that. I'm so okay with never eating a donut again. Is that because if you eat one donut, it, it, it will trigger something? That, donuts, that you... donuts to me are evil. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Unless you want to take four donuts and build a car with them or something. Right. Be wheels. So, so for uh, you, a donut is a trigger, and you want to stay away from your triggers. Yes, I have a very, very bad memory of donuts and uh, and many other foods. Too. Yeah. But it's a very – when I see uh, – well, years ago, we were in a Sunday school class at church, and, you know, everybody were passing around the box of donuts. And a lot of you people – You know what, Cass, Cass, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I have to take uh, – commercial break. I'm here with Kathy Rogers. This is Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. When we come back from the break, we're going to visit more with Kathy Rogers. We're going to find out what happened with the donuts. We're going to find out what happened in Sunday school. You can find Kathy Rogers by Googling her. You can find her book. She's got a new book coming out. When we come back from the break, we're going to pick up where we left off. Just a mirror, mirror. 
We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. The IRS can and will track your income. Can you? It's time to bulletproof your taxes. Yes, bulletproof your taxes with host Nellie Williams, Fridays at 1 Eastern on the Rockstar Radio Network. As a business owner, you know that tax deductions can lower your tax liability, but deciding which expenses are deductible and how to claim them can be confusing, frustrating, and ultimately costly when you're wrong. Former IRS Audit Supervisor Nellie Williams will help you learn what is deductible and when to take that deduction to avoid raising IRS red flags. She'll teach you how to survive an IRS audit so you don't have to pay more tax, interest, or penalties. Each week, Nellie will be here to teach us as entrepreneurs and small business owners how to pay our fair share and not a penny more. Check out her website, BulletproofYourTaxes.com. Then join us for Bulletproof Your Taxes with host Nellie Williams, Fridays at 1 Eastern on the Rockstar Radio Network. Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, president of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search, physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one's spiritual perspective. All must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central here on Togginet.com. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and our guest today is Kathy Rogers. And Kathy Rogers talked to us about uh, bulimia, about an eating disorder that she has struggled with and overcome. Uh, and before the break, she talked a little bit about a donut being a trigger. And a trigger is something that makes us do something that maybe we don't want to do. And I just want to reiterate what Kathy said about uh, when dealing with bulimia or really any disorder, any addiction, it is one, um, two steps forward, one step back. So when you do have a slip up, just keep going because even with two steps forward, one step back, we're still taking one step forward. Now, Kathy, you talked a little bit before the break about donuts and something to do with with church, is that right? Or some... Yes. Uh, in an adult Sunday school class, maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, they were passing around a box of donuts. Or maybe it's before. It, it was before 1994. It's before I went public in Family Circle magazine. I went public in a big way, you know, millions of readers. But 
they were passing around this box of donuts, and somebody kept saying, well, why don't you want a donut? And I finally said, you know what? I know what donuts taste going in, and I know what they <laughs> taste like coming out. And I oh. said, uh, you know what? I'm a recovered bulimic, and donuts are a trigger to me. And, you know, read about it in Family Circle when my story comes out. But um, so donuts are just, it's kind of, um, in my new book, Johnny Come Lately, when that comes out, you'll find out about the donuts because I fictionalized it. But uh, I want to talk about uh, eating disorders that in older women, if we could. Uh, I'm not an expert, but um, it's, it's an issue. It's an issue that gets uh, swept under the rug. We hear about eating disorders in young girls or boys or young men, young women. There are a lot of older women who are struggling with bulimia and anorexia. The thing that you said, yes, there are, and the thing that you said before is that you have a false image of what your body looks like. I mean, mm-hmm. you look in the mirror and you really, you don't see your body, you see what you think your body looks like. Yes, and, you know, I think we can all do that now, though, just uh, we can look in the mirror, and the mirror says one thing, we also kind of edit, we self-edit in the mirror, but when, when you look in a photograph, you can't self-edit a photograph like you can in the mirror, you know? Um, it's hard to explain, but um, I think a lot of anorexics really suffer from that even more. But it, it's not just um, in eating disorders. A lot of people have body, body image problems, um, no matter at what age. And, yes. you know, you can, if you go and people are going to be honest at the gym working out, some of them have no idea, no matter how rip they get that sometimes it's too much oh yeah well and i think girls it can go either way you know in the women's group that i belong to you know i've heard women talk about this and they can be very very large women who don't realize how large they are or very very thin women who don't realize how thin they are because i think there's a misconception out there that bulimics are all rail thick thin and they're not they're not absolutely uh bulimics uh, bulimics can kind of hide. An anorexic can come into a group, can't hide. You can walk through the mall, through the airport. You cannot hide that. You're either, some people say that person looks anorexic. Well, they could also have cancer or a horrible, you know, another kind of disease. But now bulimics, you can hide because you can maintain a standard weight. You, um, that, that's the, that's the uh, misconception about bulimia. Bulimics normally don't look like anorexics. You don't look real thin or like a skeleton. Kathy, does this does it, bulimia does it filter through all the the uh, from from rich women to to very poor women, or is it is it more is it or middle class women, or is or is it sort of you know it runs through all classes? You know, I wished I could. I wished I had the exact answer for that. I'm going to be honest. I haven't studied that that much. I really can't answer that um, in a I, – I can't answer that. I really don't know. And what, and what about treatment? I mean, uh, so now it's, uh, it's been, what, 20, 25 years where it's really been out in the mm-hmm. public eye. Would you say that the treatment is better and more available to women than it ever was and are more women getting help? I think there are, there are more treatment centers. I hear about more treatment centers. And I also think more people, it's more open. Uh, you can go online and you can find – you know, places. There's a place out of Fort Worth called uh, Eating Disorder Hope. 
I think I've got that right, eating disorder hope. Uh, there, there are more places, but here's the thing. I have some friends, God bless them, and they are suffering, and they've all been in treatment. And you can be in treatment, but here's the thing. You have to, you have to make a decision. And I, won't, I don't want to sound like a know-it-all because I've, I've, I'm on the other side now, but I had to make that decision. Do I want to live this way? Or do I want to get better? And I wanted to get better. I, I got so sick of being bulimic. And that's the other thing I want to talk about. Bulimia is a very, very lonely place to be. When you are in the privacy of your home, apartment, car, wherever, stairwell of a college dorm, bathroom, fast food joint, wherever, and you're eating you could have a, a, a thousand people around you, but you're lonely. And then when you go and you go in self-induced vomiting, laxatives, whatever, it's a very lonely place to be. And you know what? I got tired of being lonely. I got tired of being afraid that my husband was going to come home from work and find me dead on the bathroom floor. I, I got tired of spending money on food that I was just going to throw up. I got tired of living a lie. Because I felt like I was living two different lives. Uh, lives. How and aware was your husband of this one when you were he, going through it? He was aware, and that we've talked about that before. He knew I had bulimia. He certainly was for me getting help. But see, this is back when he was a fighter pilot in the Air Force, an officer, and it's almost like you don't show your weaknesses to others. <laughs> yes. So, you know, back in the day, we kind of, you know, yeah, you're going to a psychiatrist, but... You know, let's kind of keep it under wraps. And uh, now, now he's very, very proud of me. Um, he's very excited about my new book coming out. Um, it, it's just, you know what, I want to give a voice and I want to be um, someone who someone can say, well, wait, if she could get over it, I can too. And to, if any of my friends out there are listening and, and I know who you are and I know who's struggling, you know, if I could do it and, and recover, you can too. Anybody out there, it's, but you have to, you just have to make that decision and then you have to work. It's hard work, but it's so worth it. Have you done any counseling uh, to other women? Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a licensed counselor or anything like that, but I have gone out, I've given talks. Oh my God, I've gone to drill teams. I've gone to church groups. I've gone to church groups. Um, in that respect, I try to, you know, uh, in not a professional manner, but yes. and yeah. Because I think that they can relate to somebody who's actually been through it, um, suffered, and come out the other side sometimes more than they can uh, a doctor. Yes, and, and that's what I try to do. Is, and the, the other thing I have to remember, sometimes I have to step back because I want to save everyone. And just because I'm friends with someone and they tell me their secrets and I tell them mine and I tell them how I got better, I can't make them better. I can't fix them. They have to fix themselves and get the tools. And also, if they're people of faith, you know, I also believe in faith, and I believe mine was a combination of the tools that my psychiatrist gave me, so... The, the psychological aspect, then the faith issues come in, and then just just dadgum hard work. 
and making a choice today, okay, in this minute, I'm not going to binge. I'm not going to binge in 30 minutes. I'm not going to binge in the next hour. And then, oh, my gosh, I've gone a day without binging. Oh, my God, I've got two days without binging. Okay, I screwed up. I binged. Oh, my God. Instead of saying I'm a piece of crap, I'm going to pull myself up, and I'm going to get about my day, and I'm going to try to do better. And, and that's how I got better. And I also used my writing because I'm a writer. That was a, a, a place to turn to. Um, so it is hard work. There's, you know, there's a lot of resources out there. And I will say this. If you're suffering from an eating disorder, please don't suffer in silence. Tell someone that you trust and go get help. And if you're already in therapy, just stay at it and know that it's so worth it to get better. Well, Sandra, this really is violence against yourself. I mean, it's just amazing what we put ourselves through. Yeah. Is Sandra still there? Yes. Yeah, I hope so. Are you Sandra? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm there. I'm listening. I just, you know, Kath, I could listen to you forever because yeah. you speak with such conviction, and you actually did it. You did the work. And, you know, with any recovery program that we're part of, there's no easy answer. But I think if the if there's one thing that I could sum up today that you said for everyone, no matter what what they're trying to recover from, is do not suffer in silence. Please, that is, you know, the, that's the hardest thing because keeping a secret, keeping, you know, having to hide your behaviors from people, it's really, really lonely. And I think that's when, you know, the crazy comes in and you think you can't do it. Absolutely. And, and I'll just say this, uh, you know, I'm fairly successful. I'm certainly not where I want to be yet. I want to do other things with my writing. But last week I had a few hours of self-loving. I thought, oh, my God, I'm a fraud, I'm a failure. This was after I'd done another radio interview on another subject. You know what? I had to pull myself up by my bootstraps because 30 years ago I would have binged that day. Yeah. It was amazing when it hit me. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm still here, and I'm not binging. Any kind of eating uh, is always, it's emotional. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with the food. It's all about our emotion and what we're, what we, how we think about ourselves and, and, and when we feel helpless. Yes. Well, Kathy, I want to thank you for, for being so honest with us today, for bringing the reality of what an eating disorder is and also bringing the message of hope. My name is Sandra Beck. I'm the host of Powered Up with Beck and Franklin with Linda Franklin. Our guest today has been Kathleen Rogers. Please Google her. Check her out. She has a new book coming up. Next week, we're going to welcome Dr. Robert Thorin. He's going to talk to us about cosmetic dentistry, and I can't wait to hear what Linda Franklin has to say because I have an Object fear of dentists. I don't think she's very fond of dentists, so we're going to bring on Dr. Robert Thorin, and he's going to talk about um, cosmetic dentistry and what we can do to look younger. We're so glad you joined us for Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Sandra Beck, Los Angeles-based single mother and technology company owner, knows what it's like to be fit, funny, and fantastic in your 40s. Linda Franklin, a New Yorker with a successful marriage 